I invite you to take your Bibles and don't turn to Daniel, turn to Ezekiel, if you would, this morning. We're going to take a bit of a switch here. It's a bit of a thing to wrap your head around. We're not doing the sermon illustration. We're just going to jump right into it this time, okay? So um, Ezekiel 34 is where I invite you to turn this morning. We're turning our eyes for the next few weeks to maybe more Christmas-themed text, at least, in Ezekiel 34, and then Pastor Jeff's going to share with us next Sunday as well. And we're going to be considering our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this morning, we are considering the theme of shepherds in Ezekiel 34. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. Uh, It's on page 676 in that Bible. And um, if you would uh, turn there, if you don't have one, please take that with you. Or if you know somebody that needs a Bible, please give it to them. And again, we always say this up front, and we are up front about it, but um, we trust that you will see that what we have to share from the pulpit is from God's Word and not from uh, just Jeff or I wanting to say something, but actually from the Word of God, and that's really what founds everything that we uh, share and talk about. And so we're going to see prophecy um, sort of kind of fulfilled in, in Ezekiel 34 as we look to Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, this morning. And so a great song, very fitting for us as we consider A survey of Ezekiel, just real quick though, to get our minds wrapped around this book. Uh, There's lots in the book of Ezekiel, but Ezekiel prophesies among Jewish exiles in Babylon during the last days of Judah's decline. And his message is, Judah will be judged because of her unfaithfulness, but God promises for a future restoration and a future blessing. And that's an encouraging thing when he sends the prophets to uh, share about judgment, he always sends of this future restoration that is for the nation of Israel. And that is what is promised here in Ezekiel 34. What's interesting about Ezekiel is he also places special emphasis on the glory of God and the sovereignty of God. And that's been our theme in the book of Daniel, right? The sovereignty of God, that we can trust in the sovereignty of God. And Ezekiel 6 verse 10 says, And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. God's not judging them for no reason. He's judging them that they might know that God is Lord. Why did God judge Nebuchadnezzar? Because of his pride, right? Because he didn't recognize God, Yahweh, as Lord, as sovereign over all things. He looked at his nation and he said, wow, look at this amazing country, this amazing province that I rule over and that I created. He didn't recognize the sovereignty of God. And so the themes in Ezekiel are judgment on Judah, judgment on the Gentile believers, or the Gentiles rather, and then restoration of Israel. And restoration of Israel in Ezekiel 34 is where we find ourselves, in the restoration part of the book of Ezekiel. And that's where we're going to turn this morning. So I invite you then, we're going to cover the whole chapter as best as, and briefly as we can, as you see in your outline, but I'm just going to read for us in your hearing, verse 7 through 16, the middle portion of our text this morning. So please follow along as we read that. Therefore, you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from, the mouths, from their mouths that they may not be food for them. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and, and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing place. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat, the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is the word of the Lord. We see a number of things, and if we follow through Ezekiel 34... Just chronologically as we walk through, it's going to seem kind of like it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I think as we walk through, we'll be able to put these pieces um, together a little bit. And so the first thing that we see in verse 1 through 10 is pseudo-shepherds, the pseudo-shepherds. Pseudo is this idea of being not genuine, fake. The shepherds were fake shepherds. They weren't genuine shepherds. But before we get to them, what were sheep like during this time? What were sheep like? I know a number of years ago when you guys were in the book of John, you guys were out, out at uh, the, uh, farm, the Hills Farm, and, you were, and there was a video on YouTube. You can go and check it out, and there's some, actually some good insights in that video. I was watching it in preparation for this, so I'd encourage you to do that and see that, because John 10 is very close to this passage, and probably when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's thinking of Ezekiel 34, when he says that to his disciples and the Pharisees and those that he was speaking to. But what were the sheep like? Sheep were, were totally dependent and still continue to be to this day. Right? Sheep need to be led to good pastures. Sheep need protection from predators. They don't have a way of protecting themselves. They need to be sheared. They can't do that on themselves, and if you do that to themselves, rather, and if you don't shear a sheep, they'll overheat, right? They need that, that help. They're wholly dependent creatures on a good, loving, caring shepherd. And what's ironic about it is the Bible speaks of Christians and believers as sheep, and yet we don't see ourselves that way, right? We see ourselves as strong, and we can do it ourselves, and we're tough, and we don't always need God for everything. And then we recognize that the very fact that you are here this morning is by the grace of God, not because you're amazing, and the very fact that you're able to breathe the next breath you take is not because you are amazing, it's because God's allowing you to take that breath. Right? And you very quickly are reminded that I am like these sheep. I am wholly dependent on God for everything. For survival, for protection, to be saved from God's wrath. So we are like these sheep and we'd be, we'd be well to see ourselves as that. I know the scriptures speak to it many times and yet we often don't see ourselves that way. It's very similar to a newborn baby, which we just recently welcomed into our home, the fourth boy, and three months ago almost now, and he is very dependent, obviously, and we are not upset with him about that. We recognize that. That's what happens with babies, right? If you don't like that, then don't have kids, right? So <laughs> if you don't want to listen to the crying and all of that. But we recognize that Vinny needs help to feed. He needs help to change his diaper. He needs all of those things. If he gets rolled over, he needs help getting back rolled over. And uh, he is a very dependent person right now, but one day he is going to grow up and not be as dependent on me 
but he will still be dependent on Jesus Christ and on God for everything. You and I are very much like newborns before God. We are like sheep. Who are the shepherds of Israel? The shepherds of Israel, as, this, as we read them in the Scriptures, were the leaders of Israel. None other than their leaders. Shepherds was a term for leaders, whether that is a, a political leader, a spiritual leader, uh, a father in the home, politicians, kings, all of those positions of authority. They are called shepherds. And what they're called to do is care for the flock, which is to care for those who are under them. And so in Ezekiel 34, verse 2, what were the shepherds to do? And maybe what were they not doing that they were supposed to be doing? The prophet says, should not shepherds feed the sheep? And they weren't doing that. They weren't taking care of the basic need of food for the people. Should they not feed the sheep? Proving that they were non-genuine shepherds. And so what is the problem in verse 1 through 6 as we read it? Well, let's look at the characteristics of these pseudo-shepherds. As you read through it, you will see a number of things. First off, they are only concerned with themselves, not about the flock. They're greedy. The shepherds fed themselves. They cared more about themselves than they did about the people or the sheep that they were leaving. There's a story in Aesop's fables of the goose that laid the golden egg. I don't know if you've read that. But the story goes that there was a man that had a goose, a golden goose, and he laid a golden egg. And he laid a golden egg every day. And this gentleman caught on to this and he started selling these golden eggs in the market and making a lot of money. But then he got to thinking, as he sold those, he thought, hmm, what if I killed the goose and took all the eggs inside of him and then I could be rich right now all at once? And so he does that, comes to find out that there's nothing there when he kills the goose. There is no golden eggs and he's just killed the goose that was giving him the wealth that he had. Moral of the story being, greed does not always lead to great gain. And yet these shepherds were greedy at the expense of the flock. They weren't taking care of the people that they were overseeing. Second characteristic, they allowed the weak and the sick members of the flock to tend to themselves. They did not take care of the weak and the sick. They brutalized their sheep. And as a result, as we read through Ezekiel 34, what happened? Because they did not carry out their duties as a shepherd, the flock scattered and they were susceptible to prey, to predators. They were prey rather for wild animals. So rule number one for those who lead people, it must be in the interest of others, not in the interest of self. You must serve for the benefit of others. That's fathers, that's spiritual leaders, that's politicians. You must lead for the benefit of others. And that's what Scripture calls us to do. It is wrong for shepherds to make a living off the flock and do so at the expense of the flock, out of a lack of love and a lack of care. But 1 Timothy says this, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's not as if we're vigilant against those shepherds who are not as good as other shepherds. There's a standard in the Scriptures for those who lead, as we know in 1 Timothy and Titus. We're not vigilant against every mistake, though. It doesn't mean that we throw people out of office because they make a bad decision or because they do something or because they're not doing something that we want them to do. When we read Ezekiel, 
What's important to see is that the shepherds were in it for selfish gain. If that is why a shepherd is in the position of authority so that he can climb the ladder and so that he can have a better life at the expense of those under him, that's the problem. It's not that he's imperfect. It's that he's doing it at the expense of others. Taking that position so that he can exploit other people. And we've seen that. We've seen that in the church. We've seen that in politics in Canada and in America and everywhere. Wherever there is sin, there is that. There's that greed. And people have been hurt by those things. What does he say? You do not feed the flock. And as our understanding of feeding grows in Scriptures, we understand that it means the Word of God. What is he not feeding them? They're not feeding them the Word of God. When Jesus comes in the New Testament to the Pharisees who are teaching the people, they're not feeding the people the true Word of God. They're adding more and more and making the burden heavier and heavier on the people. You've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick. There's evident needs in the flock and you're not taking care of them. And it's a sad reality that comes as a result of such treatment because what happens to the sheep? They're scattered. There's no shepherds to care for them. Can you imagine what it would be like for a newborn baby to be on their own for longer than a day? That kind of picture, a terrible thing. When we read that in Ezekiel 34 in those first 10 verses, it sounds like sadness from the prophet as he speaks of the picture of what's going on in the nation of Israel. And Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 9 when he looks out at the people as he goes from town to town teaching them about the kingdom of God. What does he say? When, I, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. When I read that, I think of the time when he had compassion on Lazarus' family, right? When he came to Lazarus' family to Mary and Martha and he cried and wept with them. Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's a sad picture. It's a sad picture. And the point made by the prophets then is that society, that the church can be no better or rise any higher than the leaders, than those that are caring for the sheep. They must do that to the glory of God and in a way that honors Him. And so we find the solution then real quickly in verse 7 through 10. God solemnly promised to hold the unfaithful shepherds and the ungodly shepherds to account. And that's what he says in Ezekiel 34. God was going to remove the shepherds from their position, take the flock from them, stop the abuse, and he was going to insert himself to care for them. So those false, self-interested, greedy shepherds existed in ancient Israel, and they exist equally in the church today. And we've seen that if you follow church news, you see that all the time, where there are, are shepherds that are taking advantage of the people that they serve and that they lead. And the only ultimate solution is found in verse 23, as God says we're going to get to, that a new shepherd is coming, and I have a new shepherd in mind who's going to lead and guide my people. And it's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. So then in verse 11 through 16, what do we see? The good shepherd. This is where it gets a little bit back and forth here because there's a prophecy against the shepherds and then there seems to be God saying how He would shepherd His people. But then He takes a, minute, a, a pause and judges the sheep of, of the flock and then He returns back to this prophecy. The good shepherd in verse 11 through 16. You and I have a great living shepherd. And this shepherd is better than me, he's better than Jeff, and he's better than all of your elders combined. 
And it's Jesus, as we know in John 10. He's more alive than we are. He's more present in your life than we are. He's the source of life for you. And He gives us and gives you His Spirit to dwell with you and to be present with you always. What does Matthew 28 say? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus promises. That He's given you His Holy Spirit to be with you. I can't be that for you. Pastor Jeff can't be that for you. The elders can't be that for you. The most important thing about an earthly shepherd is that he's faithful and that he faithfully points to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And God says, I'm going to take my flock away from these abusive shepherds. And so three things we see that God does in verses 11 through 16. First thing he does is he seeks. In verse 11, we read this. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. It it draws to mind the parable of the lost sheep, right? That Jesus shares with his disciples and with the Pharisees. And he says, what does the good shepherd do? He says, he's got a flock. And when one goes missing, he leaves the 99 and he goes and he saves that one. And what does he do when he finds that one that he rescues? He puts him on his shoulder and he comes back and he rejoices. And then Jesus goes on to say, that when one sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven for that one sinner. There's a funny video that goes around, and Scott shared with us when we were doing our sermon preview, and you've probably seen it, uh, and if you haven't, you should look it up. But it was the sheep that gets pulled out of this big trench by the, his back feet, by the shepherd, and he pulls him out, and as soon as he pulls him out and sets him down on the ground, the sheep runs and takes off, and what does he do? Runs right back into the trench and gets stuck again. And I was like, if that's not a picture of us sometimes, that is just so true. How many times do we need to be sought out and rescued from our own sin that we've already repented of and turned from, but we often need that. We need God to seek us out and to rescue us from ourselves, and He does that in Jesus Christ. When God sees one of His own in need, He will seek them out, as He says, and He does this so he can rescue them from the destruction that they are going towards. So God seeks. And then God rescues in verse 12 through 13. The sheep of Israel had been scattered because of their leading, because of how the leaders led. They couldn't bear to be there. They had to leave to get out, to protect themselves and to survive. And because of this, they're susceptible to dangerous enemies. And God says, I will rescue them. God promises to do the work that the unfaithful shepherds were not able to do or were not willing to do in the case of Ezekiel 34. And this rescue is wonderfully fulfilled in the person Jesus Christ. And let me read for you Romans 5, verse 6. It says this, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from, wrath, from the wrath of God. For, for if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved. God rescues and saves His people. And then finally in verse 14 and 16, God feeds. And God promises to feed His people. This is not just a physical restoration for Israel that's promised in Ezekiel 34, but I believe a spiritual one as well, and as we're going to see in the final verses of it. God promised to bring them to a land, to a pasture that was good and rich, it says in those verses. 
God has loved you and me with an everlasting love. Is that not a good pasture to lay down in and a good place to lay down in? God has told you that He loves you so much that He will never cast you away. Is that not a good pasture to lay down in? God tells you that your warfare is accomplished and that your sin is pardoned. Is that not a good pasture to lay down in? God says, or Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that not a good pasture to lay down in? This message in Ezekiel 34 certainly would have brought hope to the exiles in Babylon as they realized that the Lord had not forsaken them, but He would care for them as shepherds do His sheep. And so in the third point, then we see the bad sheep in verse 17 through 22. And this is where we take a little bit of a pause before getting into the kingdom of Christ and the prophecy of what I believe to be Jesus Christ. Bad leadership produces bad followers. Bad leadership produces bad followers. And that is exactly what is going on in this section. I'm sure you all have stories with your children of how you did something that you would never tell them to do, but you did it and they saw it and then they repeated it. Yes, yes. And you wish you didn't do it or it was a funny joke, but then you had to go back and be serious about it later. Right? We all have those stories. The sins of the shepherds did not excuse the sins of the flock. They still had their own accountability to God. But as we read in that section in verse 17 through 22 of sheep and goats, he's referring to the flock. And obviously in a flock you have more than just sheep. You have goats, you have rams, you have all other things. And so we don't read into what those animals are in particular. We see the flock of God and some of them were stronger than others. And they were stronger than others for a reason. And in verse 18 through 19, it says this, Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? Right? They're, they're fattening themselves, the sheep, but then they're making everything else miserable for everybody else that's following along. So they're getting all the good stuff and then everybody else is getting the trash and the leftovers. Because they're acting as if the pasture belongs to them. And these renegade sheep are spoiling it for everybody else. You ever had anybody spoil it for you? This shows the damage that can be done by the flock, to the flock, by the flock, not just by the shepherds. They were not considerate of others. They treated it as if it was their own, and that they could do whatever they want with it. And that story is common in churches. Right? There's those who consider themselves mature, knowledgeable, strong believers, and they cause trouble. They disrupt the peace of God's flock because they're more concerned about getting their way, they're more concerned about being arrogant and, and being greedy and getting their own way, then they spoil it for the rest of the flock. They spoil the peace amongst the flock. I'm quite certain that you know somebody who has been hurt by somebody else in the church before. For wrong reasons, probably. Because they didn't act in a Christ-like way. Maybe it was a leader. Maybe it was somebody in the church. And it's a tragedy when those things happen and it causes people to be spread and to leave the church. It's not something that God is proud of. Right? That we're arrogant 
maybe arrogant for truth, but at the, at the expense of somebody else. But it is a reality. And there's times where our actions towards believers hold them back from God, from coming to God. Where it can take years for them to recover from that. Sheep, the bad sheep, ought to carefully emulate and follow the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you've been hurt by somebody, by, by another sheep or by bad leadership, I'm sorry. And I pray that that would not be your experience here at Grace Baptist Church. But if you have had that experience, there's great hope for you because we have a good shepherd who does care more than your earthly shepherds and sheep ever can. And he leads with justice. He cares. He binds up the wounds. He rescues the lost. And his name is Jesus. And so all of our hope is found in the kingdom of Christ, which is where we find our last point in Ezekiel 34, verse 23 through 31. These final verses, they describe for us what the kingdom of Christ is really like, what it looks like, what it's going to be like, what it already is like right now. And we see in these verses a reference in verse 22 and 23 to a post-David David. So it's probably not speaking of David the king, probably speaking of Jesus Christ. And, and most commentators would read in Ezekiel 34 and understand it as a prophecy of Jesus Christ and the coming of Jesus Christ and the person of him. And so that's how we're going to look at these final verses then this morning as well. Ezekiel 45 verse 20. 5 says this, or 34, 25 says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. This is not the new heavens and the new earth prophecy like Revelation 21. This is a little different. And this covenant of peace is similar to the new covenant pointed to in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant that is spoken of. Entering the new covenant is made possible only by faith in Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to take away the sins of the world. And when Jesus Christ partook of, with communion, that is what he said as they drank the cup of his blood, which is poured out as a new covenant for those who place their faith in Jesus. And so the first thing we see about God, the kingdom of Christ right now is justice. It says in verse 27, They shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. The plan all along was to rule with justice. When God rules, He rules with justice. And what does He say? In Romans 12, we read, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Paul says, don't seek out vengeance, it's God's. When Christ came and was obedient, He came in justice. He healed the blind. He cared for the sick. The bad shepherds didn't. The Pharisees did not rule with justice, and nor did the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34. And there's times where your leaders don't rule with justice. Praise God that He does, and that He will right every wrong that's ever been wronged against you and against someone that you love. God will right every wrong. And through Christ's death on the cross, the wrong that's been committed, God has paid for. And we praise God for that, that He is a just God and that He rules with justice. But the second thing is that He rules with peace. And the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of peace. In verse 25 it says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land and on it reads. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of peace. Isaiah 9, the description of Jesus Christ, which is a, is a Christmas verse that we go to, 
it speaks of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Which means his rule is a peaceful rule. This doesn't mean peace in the way that we hoped it would, because Jesus says, when, I, when he says that he came to bring peace, not the peace that you thought I was going to bring. And he actually makes enemies out of families, as he goes on to say. It doesn't mean peace the way that you hope peace is going to be, in the way that you and I do. But it does mean, doesn't mean, rather, that we're going to be free even from trials and from tribulation and from difficulty. You might not live as comfortably as you hoped you were going to live on this earth. In fact, you won't. There's a lack of peace in the inner man. We have fears. We have real fears. We have real doubts. And Christ banishes all of those fears and all of those doubts of God's love for us when He died on the cross for us. There's interpersonal conflict between those of us in the congregation or in the flock or in the family. We disappoint others. Others sin against us and we feel that interpersonal conflict. And Christ, He gives us His indwelling Spirit so that we can be forgiven by others and so that others can forgive us and so that we can forgive others. And His Spirit bears fruit in our lives and allows us to live at peace with others. There's world conflict, wars, but we can still be at peace knowing that this world is not our home, that there's coming something better for us. And so we invest the most time and the most energy into the place where we are going, not where we're staying temporarily, but where we're going to stay the longest. In Romans 5 verse 1, it says this, and this is probably the, the greatest verse for us to consider when we consider peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God that under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace where it matters the most. World peace, inner peace, interpersonal peace. God wants peace in our lives in those areas, but praise God that we have it with God through Jesus Christ. And then there's security. Security in the kingdom of Christ. In Jude 24, we read of that in John 10. We would encourage you to read John 10 as you leave here this morning. Verse 28 says, They shall no more be prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. God promises that there will be no more prey to destroy and scatter the sheep. There's no reason to fear when Christ rules and reigns. Jude 24 challenges us in that he says this who is it that will keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of God when when God comes and returns who is it that's going to do that Jesus Christ is he's going to keep us in our salvation he's going to seal us until the day of redemption the scriptures say Romans 8 for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will what? Be able to ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's security in God's kingdom with Christ as your great shepherd, as he protects you, as he leads you, and as he guides you. And then there's provision. Matthew 4. These are all found in Ezekiel 34 as well. In verse 29, it says this of Ezekiel 34, I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nation. God promised to provide so the people would not go hungry. 
food is absolutely necessary to survival, right? And you're thinking, if you don't end soon, Luke, I'm going to need to walk out and get that food for survival, right? So I'm going to try to wrap it up. Without proper nourishment, our bodies become weak, right? We can't function properly. But the same is true of our spiritual food. We need a proper amount of spiritual food as well. And the scriptures tell us what that spiritual food is. What does Jesus say when he's tempted by the devil? In Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is our bread? Our spiritual bread. It's the words of God. It's the word of God. All that Christ came and taught in his word. And it comes to rest on our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in our lives. And in Christ's kingdom, we're given what we need so that we're not going to starve spiritually. The word of God. And then finally, blessing. Verse 26, I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. God promised that the kingdom of Christ would be a blessing to them, but also to everybody around them. The church and the reign of Christ is a blessing to the whole world. That doesn't mean that you're amazing. It doesn't mean that you're a blessing to everybody because of just who you are. It's because the reason that we are a blessing is because we are living out being Christ. We are, we are following the good shepherd and we are being like the good shepherd. So it's nothing great about you. It's the good shepherd that is working through you. That is great. Just so you know and so I know, we're not amazing. We're not a blessing just because we're great people. It's because of Christ. And in Genesis 12 verse 2 it says this, I will make you a great nation and I will, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. When Abraham was promised that his people would be a blessing to the whole world, it was speaking of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, through your family, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world because of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. That's part of that fulfillment in Genesis 12. And so God blesses us so that we can bless others. May we, may we rather, who profess the gospel be so filled with Christ that we are a blessing to others around us. That's God's intention for His people, is to be a blessing. And the greatest blessing that we have to offer is the gift of salvation. So God, help us to share that blessing. And so, look at the abundant life that you and I have in Christ right now. Prophecy in Ezekiel 34. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. These kingdom realities are truths about the way that we live and how we live right now. Because Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne. That's a beautiful thing. All of our hope is in the kingdom of Christ. Our hope is not found in political leaders. It's not found in spiritual leaders, spiritual shepherds, and it's not found in our earthly shepherds. There are times where we will visit you in the hospital, but Jesus never leaves your bedside. We will grieve with you over the loss of a, lo- the loss of a loved person in your life, And Jesus brings them to himself, and if not, he heals your broken heart. We give you precious promises of God that are true of being a part of God's kingdom. God is the one who seals you for redemption. He's the one who keeps you until the day of salvation. We will offer counsel to you, fallible counsel to you, fallible wisdom rather. He gives you his Holy Spirit to personally be with you and guide you every single day through every single thing. So Ezekiel 34 is a message of hope, of hope to us, of hope to the nation of Israel as they read this, because we know that the Good Shepherd has come, 
and has accomplished and is our good shepherd right now. And he is all of these great things for his sheep. And so let us pray then as we, con- as we conclude this morning. Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this prophecy in Ezekiel 34 that points to Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you so much that we are on the side of Jesus Christ of history where we can look back and see Christ as the fulfillment of all of Ezekiel 34 here. And God, we thank you for the many blessings that we have considered in your word this morning of having Jesus Christ as our good shepherd, God. We thank you so much for his love for his sheep, for your love for your sheep, God, how you rescue and save and redeem us, God. We just pray these realities would go with us as we consider you at Christmas time, as we consider Jesus Christ. We celebrate the greatest gift that we've ever had in our salvation, God. And we want to ask that you would help us to share that gift and to be a good sheep with the gifts that you've given us and share that with others, God. And thank you so much for your great love for us and for this reminder this morning. We pray in your holy name. Amen.